I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new Collider Ladies Night. I am so hyped to have one of the cast members, the Falcon and Winter Soldier with us this time around. It's Emily Van Kemp. Hello, congratulations, and welcome back to the MC. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I feel like you've probably had quite the uh, the last few weeks, given everything that's happened on that show that we're going to dig into full force. The first thing I'm going to do is put you on the spot because you are officially the very first person on this show to try out, get ready for this right now. And there's a cat. We are doing the ladies night dice tower. So I really love asking a million questions about the early days of someone's career in an effort to get to as many as I can, but limit myself. I've got a list of eight here and I'm gonna roll the dice on your behalf three times. And whatever those questions are, that's what we're going with. I love it. All right. One day okay. you will be able to roll the die on your own. And <laughs> know, right? This is what we have for now. So okay. here we go. Number one. We've got a two. All right. So this one is called making it. When you first started out, what did you picture making it in the entertainment industry? And then how does that compare to what you think making it is today? Oh, wow. That is a, oh, hello. <laughs> I love it. Our pets are just filtering through. Um, oh, that's a good question. Well, I started very young and um, kind of fell into acting in a weird way. I grew up in a very small town, so I never thought that that was even a possibility in my world. I, I moved away young to study ballet in Montreal, um, started acting for fun, and then just slowly started working. Um, and so I guess in a weird way at that time, being so young, making it was... I can actually kind of make money doing this awesome thing that I've just found that I have fallen in love with. 
And um, that's very cool. I mean, in that, in my young mind, it was like, okay, this is great. And I think um, I, I may have, um, I mean, I guess coming from a ballet background, you, you understand hard work and, and coming from where I come from and with my family, you know, good work, you know, um, hard work, good work ethic, all those things. But I don't know that you, tr that I truly knew what it would take to sort of continue and, 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 um, and really, I guess, make it in, in this kind of big, bad industry. Um, and so now I, I would see it um, as a much greater challenge than I did as, as a young person. Um, but it's almost good that I didn't know that then, <laughs> I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been quite the learning experience for decades now. We're going again. Hopefully the cat doesn't destroy everything. Uh, <laughs> we got high-low. Can you give us one audition high from early on in your career and one audition low and then maybe how you overcame that low and looked on oh. to the next thing? Well, I'll start with low because I feel like auditioning in general just feels like a big low. <laughs> it's so unnatural. Um, I'm a very shy person by nature. And so um, that process for me has always been the absolute worst part of this job. Um, so, so many nights fretting over the process, over remembering lines. Um, it's, it's really strange because when I'm at work, all of that goes away, but the auditioning process just has never, ever been easy for me. Um, so all of them, <laughs> but uh, a high, I mean, I think the, the nicest moments within that process or when you just abandon all of that worry because whoever it is in that room has made you comfortable or um you know you 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 just let go of all of that fear and um and often that has to do with the general vibe um and you know that's happened several times as well where it just becomes kind of like a work session and um and you leave feeling you know creatively fulfilled rather than just like a pack of nerves which is usually what it feels like, I think. Um, so there've been many highs. I mean, one of one was um, I, I, that comes to mind as a really great experience was my screen test with Chris Evans that I did years and years ago for the first um, Captain America that I was a part of. And I remember being very nervous and, and wondering why I was there and, you know, all of those things that go in your, go on in your head. And, um, you know, the Russo brothers were there. Um, I believe Nate Moore was there from Marvel. Um, just, you know, and then Chris, obviously, and everyone was really lovely. And I remember leaving feeling like that just felt very nice. And um, everyone was so kind and kind of set up my general feeling about being a part of those films and that the MCU in general um, over this past decade, you know, um, just a kind of a warm feeling. So that was a good one. That was a high, that was a long-winded answer. Sorry. No, it was a great one though. I love that your MCU journey started in such a positive place because- It did, it really such, did, yeah. It feels like we've been having a lot of MCU conversations lately, which is very nice to be doing again. And I feel like everyone that I spoke to very sincerely expresses how wonderful that company is to work for. And as a big fan of their content, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's not always like that. I will say, you know, one thing that you learn, I think early on, I'm sure you have too, is it always comes from the top and, and you always hear that. Um, and you don't always see that um, in a positive way. And, and with Kevin Feige, I mean, he's, 
um, since day one, since the moment I met him, he was always just uh, the kindest, most thoughtful human. Um, so obviously brilliant at what he does, but always, um, always has made me feel welcome within the universe and an otherwise quite intimidating. <laughs> you know, world. Um, and, and just his brilliance and creativity really trickles down all the way through, um, to the set. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of that. And I know I'm not the only one, as you say, I think it's a general feeling, a great company to work for. I'm learning something. I'm glad, I'm glad you're our guinea pig for this because now I've learned that Dewey is attracted to the dice tower. I love it. <laughs> he'll, he'll make another appearance, I swear. One more roll and then I'm going into the titles. We got a number four. Ooh, I love this one. Um, who is an unsung hero of the MCU, but someone behind the scenes, maybe a name that we're not as familiar with? Ooh, an unsung hero. Um, oh, so many people. That that's a hard one to pinpoint because there are just so many um, amazing people behind the scenes. Um, Victoria Alonso is one of our executive producers on I think all of the things that I've been a part of in most Marvel projects. Um, I know she was a champion um, for my for me and my character a, lo a long time ago, and very much a champion for women. It seems. Um, and, you know, great to have her voice behind the scenes, I would say. Um, and then Zoe, who was one of our producers, who was there for the entire shoot of the Falcon Winter Soldier, um, you know, uh, and she was just extraordinary, very, very young, but, you know, at Marvel, they really like to sort of um, keep everything in house and, and, you know, bring up their own. And I love that. And she was incredible. Nate Moore, major uh, force behind the scenes uh, and has always been around in the, the uh, projects that I've been a part of. Um, so, so many, like everyone really, that you don't get to see the crews that we work with. I mean, what they have to go through. Uh, these, these are not easy film and, you know, films or TV shows to make. So literally everybody, I guess. That's fair. I had a feeling there would be a long list. Now we can officially close <laughs> this, let Dewey sit on it. I love it. He's very happy now. He's probably so happy. <laughs> He's like, let go of my lair thing. Usually it's the colored lights and I just have like a creepy shadow lurking in the background. But now <laughs> I know the dice tower is much more so his jam. All right, love we're going it. into some of your titles now. And obviously I have to start with Everwood here. Actually, not obviously, because I could be asking you about Are You Afraid of the Dark right now? But <laughs> oh Everwood. God. Looking back on that experience now with where you are now, is there anything that makes you think, I am so glad I had that first big series regular gig on that set with those people? So many things. Yeah, I'm deeply, deeply grateful that that was my first sort of long running um, show. Uh, one, because we shot in Utah, which allowed, you know, for like a growth period in my teen years where I didn't have to be sort of thrown into the craziness of Los Angeles. Um, so just having a little bit of normalcy there was really nice. Um, and then in terms of that entire casting crew, I, I mean, I was so young and um, was very lucky to be surrounded by that specific group. Um, it felt like a family. I felt very safe and protected and, you know, free to fail. And at that age, you really want to have all of those things to, um, to kind of um, 
you know, it, it just, it just made a big difference. in I think my journey versus some other people that I knew growing up, growing up in the industry who maybe, you know, fell down some darker paths. None of that was presented to me at that age because of my environment and because of the people I was surrounded by. And that's been, you know, a pattern throughout my career. I've been very lucky to work with not just great actors, but great people. Um, and, uh, and so, as my older self now, I'm very happy that I had that separation from the business at that age, but still got to work on my craft essentially. You know, there's no better training ground than doing a network series because you're just basically practicing all day, every day. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, many reasons to be grateful that that was my first show. So given that answer, I have a feeling there's gonna be many answers to this question here, but, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from maybe both Everwood and brothers and sisters as far as maybe watching others being the series headliners that then you could take to the set of something like Revenge and be a good leader and influence in addition to just delivering great work? Oh, so many. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of had a, my, my career had a very um, kind of, lucky wonderful progression early on um as you say you know getting to just watch and observe some some extraordinary people um i remember you know brothers and sisters specifically watching sally um and just her work ethic her presence everything about her just really i mean i just it was like a master class for me i think i was in my early 20s um when i started that show and um you know, it was, it was true. I mean, you know, there are people that you learn all of the ways in which you, you know, want to behave, how you want to be within, you know, your work environment, I think. And then there are the people who teach you all of the ways, you know, <laughs> which you do not want to behave. And I've had those too. Um, but, but specifically these really powerful women who just, um, who taught me a lot about, about how I wanted to present myself and, and the responsibility that comes with, um, you know, you know, having that extra sort of power, um, you know, which you inevitably have as an actor on a show or in a film, whatever, um, to take that responsibility seriously and and to um, to use it wisely and and never to abuse it and um, and also to lead by example. I think that's that's very important. And and I, I had a lot of great examples um, in my younger years. I love hearing that. You've had quite a few lengthy runs on shows. So twofold question. <laughs> what is it about exploring your craft through the series format that appeals to you and made you want to commit all that time to those shows? But then also what's, I don't know, what's the secret sauce? Like, what is it that you identify in, a, in an opportunity early on that says to you, like, this show is going to go the distance? I don't know. People ask me that. And I, <laughs> um, in terms of just identifying, I mean, I just gravitate toward characters that I, that I gravitate toward, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I, if I love material, there's, there's no denying it. And as many times as I said to myself, you know, I might sort of put that network television model to rest now, you know, it's such a commitment. If I've, you know, I, I would just then fall in love with another character and it, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate, you know, that these are shows that have worked out and, um, you know, I, I, I guess 
there's something to be said for, you know, I, when I was started in the industry, there was still very much a divide between film and television. And if you were in television, it was, you know, that was your thing. And if you were in film, that was your thing. And those lines have blurred as you know, we can all see um, very much now, which is great because um, we can explore all different mediums. Um, but, you know, I've always been, you know, fascinated by taking characters on these long journeys. Like I, I still hold all of these characters very dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a totally different thing and it's a different, you know, process as an actor, I think. Um, and, you know, they, it's, it, it's just not, I wouldn't say one is more fun than the other. I would just say, you know, just different. And I've always enjoyed going on that long, that long journey. Um, with a character. I, I can't say it's for everyone and I can't say I'm gonna do it forever. I've definitely had some long runs early on and I'm very grateful for that. But um but yeah it's 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 quite um it's quite amazing to 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 watch a character grow in that way over years, you know. I think I could probably take a similar approach to jumping into the MCU now from a craft perspective and you wanting to hone hone your work as an actor when the MCU comes your way what what things are you looking for to make sure that the opportunity they're presenting to you early on it is worth it because i mean you you now well know jumping into the MCU is a significant time commitment and there's a lot of things that come with it so what made you want to make the commitment back then for winter soldier i mean i i just like I said, my experience with everyone was so good from the get-go. Um, and I, I think it's just, it's a formula that works and was working really well then and continues to work a decade or a decade plus later. Um, and so you really just, it's about trust in many ways. Like it's the same thing when you embark on a long series, you, you sign that time away. And so you better have some kind of faith and trust in, you know, the people that you're working with. And, um, and it's the same thing with the MCU, but, you know, um, the commitment is also not as huge, uh, like Falcon Winter Soldier was kind of its own thing separate from the films. And, um, and so really it's just about wanting to go back and play that character again. And for me, Sharon, has always been so much fun to play, especially now that we have this totally different angle of who she is. And, um, you know, we've addressed all of the ways, you know, all of the reasons she wasn't there all of that time. And, you know, I mean, it's just been, it, it was just such a blast to play her in this new light. Um, so I just feel like, you know, why walk away from something that is so wonderful? It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. I'd love to play, you know, Sharon on and off for as long as they'll have me, you know? How about just in terms of specifics on set, whether it's playing a certain type of character or, or maybe doing um, a new production element, is there anything that the MCU offered you that you hadn't done before and made it even more appealing? I mean, I think just being in the MCU, that comic book world is just so different from anything that I'd ever done. Um, and then, you know, the, the just down to sort of um, the physical challenges that, I mean, I had a little bit of that on Revenge for sure. Um, well, quite a bit of that, but it was, it's, it was it, especially with the Falcon Winter Soldier, it was, you know, much more intense. Um, and, you know, it was, it was really cool to, um, to tackle that, but, you know, uh, it was different from anything that I'd ever done. And so it's always fun to take on these new challenges. And I feel like, um, you know, that's been the case with Sharon and, and many of the roles that I've played, 
Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a, you know, a different character that's always fun to revisit, you know? Yep. Definitely glad you revisited it the way <laughs> I did in this show. Before we get there though, you're, you kind of tapped into this a little, but I was curious about like the contract of it all. Cause I know when you guys sign on for these things, you sign on for multiple projects and so much has happened since Winter Soldier and Falcon and Winter Soldier, just in terms of the MCU story, the rise of Disney plus. So when you first signed the contract way back when, what did you picture for your journey through the MCU? And, and how does that compare to, I don't know, maybe what you could see going forward from here? I mean, I, you know, I think you, you sign these contracts, but really it, it comes down to how your character fits into the story and where they need you. And, and that's why they have those contracts, but um, you know, it's a very exciting world to be a part of. So, you know, I, I went in just totally excited to do whatever, you know, they, um, they wanted with the character, because again, it's trusting that they know what they're doing and they certainly know better than I do what to do, what to do with the character. And so, um, you know, yeah, I, I guess the, the, I, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is to not really have any crazy expectations and to just, um, let it all play out as it, as it needs to. And, um, and that's sort of what's happened and it's been so much fun and, and, you know, having that gap in between, I, I did think, um, okay, well, we've put Sharon, you know, to bed and that's fine. And you sort of just know that you're, you're really there to service the, the, the greater story of what, you know, what, um, you know, they want with, with all of the stories that are happening within the MCU. And so, you know, you just sort of, I, I just assumed. Um, and of course, you know, here we are. So it's, it's just, you know, it's just so much fun. Having assumed that, what was the reaction when you got the first call for Falcon and Winter Soldier? I was delighted, you know, again, it's, you know, a group of people that I absolutely love working with. Um, and so, you know, to kind of embark on this journey with them again, and this new platform, um, was very exciting. And, um, you know, also now that everyone, you know, we can talk about the show, um, getting to see what, where, you know, um, Sam ends up in this journey and getting to see Bucky in this whole different light. And of course, Sharon in this totally different light and, you know, just revisiting these characters in a, in a, in a more sort of in-depth way was, um, was just really fun. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was extremely happy, um, to, to get that call and, um, to, you know, to bring Sharon back. Before we get into these spoilers here, I do. Yep. <laughs> I'm trying to not. I know <laughs> it, it's so tempting for me to even just like blurt out how much I love this thing that happened, but not going to do it yet. I wanted to ask you a Civil War question, and I know it's the question you get all the time. It's the one about the kiss. It's, you know, one of the most controversial elements of the character. But instead of focusing on that element of it, and I know it's a, a romance that never continued between the two, but in that moment when you were doing that scene with Chris, what was going through your head as far as what that moment meant to Sharon? And I guess kind of what it meant for her growth as a character and her hopes for the future in that moment? I mean, I, that's a really good question to put it that way. I, again, you sort of trust and hope that it all makes sense in the end. I, I did have a few moments where I wondered, is this, is it, 
are we going too far with this? Should this be more of an amicable, friendly moment? Um, I I didn't really know. I don't think any of us really knew. Um, but we were, you know, yeah. I, it's 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 hard to answer because I don't think it's um, it's anyone's fault that that it didn't totally work um, in terms of the story. I, I don't think anyone knew where that was headed or what what we were, you know going to do with that moment it was a sweet moment in in you know as it was it's a hard it's a hard one to answer because you don't want to sort of say well it was a terrible moment and it you know didn't make any sense because everyone's just kind of doing the best they can to service the story in that moment really um and so um yeah we were we were all just i think doing the best that we could and and something great came out of it which was this this dynamic between Sam and Bucky in the car. <laughs> and so, you know, something great did come of it ultimately, you know, and here we have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't know if it's me just reading into it so much, but I always kept thinking back to her speech at Peggy's funeral and the idea of her always living in her shadow and maybe something about, you know, her passing and then her legacy living on, kind of giving Sharon that freedom to maybe take a, a step into that spotlight in a sense. I mean, I think I think there's an element of that. I think um, I think it just got where it got a little bit blurry was the the sort of um, the love for the the Peggy Steve relationship, mm -hmm. and so you know that's that's where it got a little sticky. I think with fans and with you know people who really were sort of um, into that specific relationship and you know people saying that maybe you know um th that it was just awkward in general um but yeah i think you're right i think um and it's it's a bummer that it that moment overshadows that moment at the funeral and you know all of those uh, like what sort of sharon represents in that in that movie and and in terms of who she is as a character but um but it's all you know, at the end of the day, you have to laugh. It's, it's, you know, storytelling and you win some, you lose some. And, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't have like much to say about it other there than for what, that was what I, that I was, whereas I don't think it overshadows Sharon's meaning in that movie at all. Oh, good. I mean, some people might say that it, there was, a, there was quite a, visceral feeling about that kiss i think but um ultimately you know that's the whole point you want people talking you want people to get passionate about these moments and these stories and so um that certainly happened <laughs> exactly and you know part part of this industry and long-running franchises is the ability to to evolve and move on and i mean this franchise yeah. couldn't have done so any better so i know it's so true well i think and in a in a weird way I was also going back to your previous question of how it felt to get that call. I think there was a part of me that always felt like I had some unfinished business with Sharon and that it would be really amazing to revisit her um, independent of that storyline with Steve. And, um, and, you know, they really allowed me to have that opportunity, which was so much fun. And, um, and just kind of, to me, um, fulfilled that that sense of of uh i don't know i just you know tying up a loose end if that makes sense i just i i did feel like it was always slightly unfinished with sharon and here we are i feel yeah i feel it 
it is unfinished, but I like that it's unfinished right now. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Let's put up the spoiler warning. This is it, guys. If you have not seen all of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, this is the time where you pause the video, you go watch the entire season of the show, and then you just come back to this link and press play, and it'll start right here. So you're safe. See everybody who hasn't seen the show another time. All right, <laughs> let's do it. Where, where to even begin? I guess I did kind of want to ask you about the unique production process on this one, because of course I, I was hearing about some of the potential changes that might have happened when you guys had that big gap. So how much readjusting, if any, was required on your end when you got back to set when production resumed? Okay, so let me think back. Um, we, I, they, I think they shut down production when they were in Prague. I was not in Prague, but I still had most of my scenes from episode six to shoot. Um, and so uh, initially that big sequence in the end in episode six was, was uh, you know, much more sort of, it was less in the tunnels and there were a lot more people around. And I remember coming back and they'd really toned that down for, you know, protocol purposes and all of that, um, which made a lot of sense, but I actually think it made, um, it made everything better and feel more intimate. And, um, and so, yeah, I had most of that, that final episode, the power broker reveal, all of that was when we came back in September. Um, and so the story didn't change that much, but the locations and the way in which we told the story did, and I think it actually made it better. I never would have noticed that change if you hadn't said it. I think it plays. I know. Well, that's why they, you know, everyone, everyone's so good at their jobs. You know, they, they sort of found a way around it, but also ultimately made it better because they had seen there, you know, you have to see the silver lining and they had been able to edit most of the episodes over like during the lockdown um, and those several months that we couldn't resume work. And so they were really able to see, okay, what do we need? How do we even, how can we even elevate this? And, and I think they really did. How about the very beginnings of the power broker reveal? When were you first informed? I think we got most of the scripts pretty early on, if I remember correctly. Um, and I remember Malcolm and Kari and, and a bunch of people saying, well, just wait till you see what happens in the end. I had no idea what they were talking about. And then of course the reveal happened and it made a ton of sense. Um, but they all sort of let me read the script and and kind of, get a sense of, of what was happening in content, like, you know, in, in this, within the story. And um, yeah, it was, it, 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 I thought it was great. I mean, look, they really went there. We just turned Sharon on her head. I mean, she's a totally different person, totally different character. And I just loved that. It, it felt like, again, it was fulfilling that, that thing that I felt like we never really completed with Sharon in terms of, the films and so it, it was just very cool just curious this is kind of like creative theory stuff now but as you were reading the scripts for the very first time before you knew that sharon was the power broker where did you imagine her headspace being at that point was was it essentially the same kind of just having lost faith in the government and living and doing her thing in madripoor but without having power broker status yeah, I mean, I just didn't know how dark they really wanted to go with Sharon. I knew that there was a, a sort of um, a major feeling of betrayal, which we had to address. And, you know, that sort of wide-eyed young agent was no longer. And, um, you know, all of those things were sort of 
like uh, kind of informed who she was in terms of how I was playing Sharon, but also, um, you know, that, that, that could have ended there. You know, it could have just been Sharon with a chip on her shoulder and, you know, she gets her pardon and off we go. She's back in business, but um, to take it to that extra level. And really she's been orchestrating this entire thing and she's completely flipped sides. I mean, to me, that was so much more interesting and so much more exciting. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it just made a lot of sense to me really that that she would and and she kind of hints to that when she's talking to Sam and saying you know the whole hero thing is a joke I mean it's very sad to see Sharon in that light because of how you know committed she was to her government and the cause and I mean it's in her blood to have that sort of like moral integrity to see that completely dissipated and completely gone um, and then to have this this total like almost villain status. It just, it, I thought it was a great call. So you say almost villain. So you don't- I mean, I can't, you know, a villain is such a, it, I, what I found was, what I found interesting about this show in particular was how gray everything was in terms of, I mean, even the flag smashers, you understand they're caught. Like you really wonder like, is there one true villain? And also my job as Sharon, the person playing Sharon is to justify who she is. I mean, right, we have to connect to our characters regardless of what they're doing. And you understand the, the feeling behind it and where it comes from. And so, I mean, yeah, the power broker is a baddie, but, <laughs> um, but it's also understanding where that comes from. And so when she talks about, you know, now I have access to all of the weapons and all, you know, all of these and whoever she's speaking to, um, you get that she really wants to stick it to the system that kind of abandoned her. And I guess in a weird way, I can justify that for Sharon, um, even though it's, it's not right. It still makes sense to me, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. It does. That's, that's why I feel like ever since, um, you know, in particular, Civil War, that idea of, you know, heroes not always getting along and being on opposite sides of the divide and just playing in that gray area more has, you know, layered up these characters more than I ever could have imagined at the beginning. Absolutely. I think it's really evolved within the MCU as these movies and shows have started to, you know, grow and change. It's, it's really cool to see. All right, I got one theory question for you, and I know you're not going to be able to say it outright, but, you know, a lot of people out there are looking at this character turn and immediately saying she's a scroll. So I know you can't say if that's actually the case, but, <laughs> but do you ever kind of, I guess, have that same concern, but from like your perspective, like you as in the actor in the MCU in a post-Captain Marvel world where you could be playing an entirely different character and not know it right now? Or is it a situation where you would expect that they would probably tell you something like that in advance? Yeah, I mean, you would think, but that's 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 what's interesting about these shows is how they evolve and, and the stories grow based off of people's reactions and theories and thoughts. And um, and so, yeah, I can't, I, I couldn't say anything beyond what you've seen in the Falcon Winter Soldier. <laughs> I don't know how I was going to get at that one. And I won't even try to speculate from my own perspective because, again, um, you know, that's that's certainly not my place. Um, 
it's such a bigger world than my mind can grasp that, you know, I leave that to, to the professionals who understand these characters in this world and universe way better than I do. Um, so, you know, I can't even go there. I <laughs> guess is. I hear you. I very much respect that. All right. We're leaving spoiler ter territory and we're going into another game. We're going to do some cast superlatives right now. So I'm going to start. I'll give you the superlative and let's open it up to the MCU overall. Anyone you've worked with, whoever fits this descriptor here. Let's go with life of the party. Um, Anthony Mackie. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, yeah, definitely. Just always, just a big presence. Gotta love it. <laughs> about most likely to survive a zombie apocalypse. Oh no, we're talking the actor, the real person. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm a pretty big zombie fan, so I'm just going to bet on myself in that one. I've seen like every zombie movie and show ever made, so um, I'm just going to bet on me. Is that crazy? Maybe. No. It's not. <laughs> usually, usually I would say the same thing about myself. And I have that belief in myself, except for the fact that I've watched enough zombie TV shows and movies to know that if you wear contacts or you have glasses, you are just screwed. The contacts <laughs> are going to fall out, the glasses will get stepped on, and then I won't be able to see. And it's then you're hard. totally screwed. Yes, you're right. But still, I mean, I've, I've gone through this in my head so many times, and I can't imagine anybody else that I've worked with within the MCU has thought about it as much as me, so I'm just going to bet on myself. I need to harp on this a little more now. So, you know, the siren blares, there's a zombie apocalypse. What, what's step one? Do you have, like, the go bag or, or a first place you're going to? <laughs> I mean, not actually. In my mind, I have, like, all of the ways in which I would, like, board up my house and whose house within, you know, my friend's you know, would I have the best chance at surviving it? You know, you just, I mean, I've literally thought about all the things. Um, what do you pack in the bag? All that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's too, you really don't want to get me started down that path because <laughs> me and my husband has heard enough. <laughs> After my very first LA earthquake, the first thing I bought was a go bag for my cat. That's, that's, where I, that's where I'm at. Right? I mean, our pets come first always. Frankie, my dog, you know, she is number one priority in all scenarios, always. Very much behind. Including above my husband. You know, I think it's fair to say that about Deputy Dewey, despite the fact that he tried to destroy the Dice Tower. All right, next superlative. Most likely to cry during a movie. I don't know if I say, then it's just splashed all over the place and it's a whole thing. So I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you. I'll, I'll give you the pass on <laughs> But that. I do have an idea actually. <laughs> now you're making me real curious. How about most like their character? Most like their character. Oh, that's a good question too. I'm so bad at these games because I really take them seriously, like way too seriously. I, I find it very like stressful to answer because I'm like, then I'll go away and I'll be like, no, that person's more like their character. Why didn't I say that one? Um, oh, I don't know. Who do you think is most like their character? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I would, I would happily guess with that. I feel like I could make an educated guess based on what I know of people via social media and. I don't know. I'll say Tom Holland. Everything I watch of him is so like, I don't know, fun, loving, and jovial. That's a really good one, actually. In the way I mean, I only know him. I've only met him a handful of times, 
um, shooting, but that's actually a really, a really good one because he's just the loveliest and yeah. I had a feeling that was the case. So what, what if I, what if I reverse it now? What if I give you an actor name and you give them a superlative? Oh, please don't. <laughs> please don't make me play these games. Try, try, try one. Give me one for Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Oh, Sebastian. Um, man, I, I hmm. committed. I mean, he's just one of the most he's just so unbelievably talented that man and just very i would say very committed to his craft um and just lovely lovely i love that answer i'm, I'm gonna give you one more mainly because i just want to say her name because i think she's wonderful and talented and i can't wait to see what she does after this erin Callyman. brilliant just so sweet and um i mean i'm just now i'm just rambling it's more than just couple of words but yeah I think she uh, yeah I'm excited very excited to see all the things that she does as well because just really commanding as well all right we have come to the end of ladies night we always end with the same two questions so the first one for you is name someone in this industry who's changing it for the better um I mean look we talked about him earlier but Kevin Feige let's say you know I think he's um He's one of the one of the great ones. He's brilliant on you know on all levels, um, and and mostly I would say kind. And I like the stories that he's telling, and um, that all of the people that that work with him are telling as well. So go with that. I second that. Now I'm warning you. Now this last one is a little bit of a heavy one. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. We always end on <laughs> it. It's what is your biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome. Oh, that's huge. That's a big one. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to throw this one out there. I have a major fear of heights, uh, like huge. And I climbed Table Mountain. And I don't know if you've ever climbed Table Mountain in South Africa in Cape Town, but it's one of the most terrifying things to do if you're scared of heights. Um, so that was, that was, a bit, I made it to the top and it's like a three hour hike, which I didn't know at the time. Um, so that is like one of the most kind of like, you know, the, the sort of quickest memory that I have in terms of a fear that I fought and kind of accomplished it. Cause you can also take a gondola up and next time I would do that, <laughs> but my friends were hiking up it. Um, and so I, I did the hike, thank God for my husband, but, um, you know, he kind of safely got me up there without like calling a helicopter, which I suggested a handful of times in my absolute, like total chaotic fear um but yeah that, that was that was a big one for me I feel like you you bringing that up just put something on my bucket list that sounds incredible you might have to do it yeah just just know if you're scared of heights take it slow <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out with us on ladies night Emily. this was a blast and again huge congratulations I cannot wait to see where they take Sharon X there are so many interesting possibilities now and I'm very excited for you so again congratulations and to everybody out there i mean if you're still here you've seen all of falcon and winter soldier but just in case you have someone in your life who hasn't tell them to go check it out on disney plus hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.